1: That it is a good morning whether I want it or not.
0: Please go away, let me speak for the love of
2: God! Yeah, I still reckon that your mother is a fragrant aardvark. He's one of the weirder movie insults. Or what about does Barry Manilow know you raid his wardrobe? <laughs> That's Breakfast Club Breakfast Club What a a flick Good morning everyone Uh, Welcome to Good Movie Monday The weekly podcast where the hosts drink coffee Or tea And wax lyrical about all things cinema And we are here right now with a freshly brewed espresso Or a (laughs) madura And a bunch of other stuff to talk about Thanks to you Yep, this is our listeners choice episode And we're going to talk about the stuff that you want us to talk about and when I say you, I mean a couple of people that know us that, you know, have bothered to comment. Have <laughs> We
3: appreciate it. Yes.
2: No, to be honest with you, a few more people jumped on the bandwagon right at the last minute before we recorded. So we're going to save those for a second listener's choice episode. But also coming up, Jarrett with his weekly PE class, Guillermo from Screen Realm. And Adam Ross is going to review Never Really Sometimes Always. Sounds weird? Yep. Keep listening and find out what that's all about. But first things first, how are you, Keith? Keeping sane? I'm well, mate. I'm I'm thriving. How am I sounding?
3: You sound
2: pretty good. Yeah, a little coarse. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, my, my voice is uh, being tested to its limits Bit today. Bit of
3: sandpaper, mate.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's run through some news. The fact that, I guess, movie news in general and the quality of movie news has kind of been dwindling over the last few weeks since coronavirus crippled the world, mm. it means that, well, thousands of jobs and careers have been crippled in turn. So, you know... We hear all about job losses, and it's generally aimed at the retail and hospitality sectors, but we rarely stop to consider the entertainment industry, Mm. Um, mostly films and television. It's a massive part of the economy, but generally speaking, the average Joe doesn't see it from that perspective. But I wanted to touch upon the point that there's a campaign that's been launched last week by Screen Producers Australia and Australia Made to call upon the government to provide a $1 billion Screen Content Fund to mm. ensure the recovery of the industry. It's awesome. That's a huge, huge request, but not unreasonable. Uh, the government has already, at the time of this recording, pledged $54 million plus a 12-month tax waiver to support the industry, which in and of itself is great. Yeah, absolutely. But once again, this push for the $1 billion is just an initiative, but it's highly ambitious, so we'll just have to watch this space. For the record, we are apolitical here on Good Movie Monday. We aren't interested in causing division by way of politics or anything like that, but given that we do talk about movies and we are movie-themed, I thought it was important to draw attention to it. If anything, just to remind folks that the entertainment industry is a vital one. Absolutely. Anyway, with that out of the way, moving along, what do you got for us? Well, Gin... Glenn, yeah, June the with, big with my boy. Indeed, your
3: boy. He comes up again.
2: Oh my god! Uh, I
3: feel like your your enthusiasm for Timmy is growing by the episode. But um, June, what a film this looks like! It's going to be um, what's how do you pronounce him?
2: Big Denny... I don't know how to get. Well, let's just call him that arrival guy. Indeed, That's the Mario guy. The that Blade, Blade Runner, Runner.
3: twenty forty nine guy. <laughs> um, yeah, coming at us again with some more science fiction. Going where David Lynch has gone before. You
2: know what? They Every few years they come out with these really highly anticipated films. Like ones that sort of trump everything else. This is one of them. Everyone's looking forward to this one. Absolutely. Mind you, several years ago, I think uh, John Carter was one of those. that Everyone <laughs> yeah, was looking right. forward to. Ender's Game, another one. Didn't quite work they, out. Neither of those quite yeah, worked out. But, but um,
3: I mean, this one's got some prestige behind it. I looked at that cast photo. Man, there's some talent there. you got Timmy, obviously. Yeah. Josh Brolin's in there. Mm-hmm. Is it Idris? Is he in there? Oh, I, didn't see I could him. be
2: wrong. Yeah, well, you'll be fact-checked. That's for <laughs> <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> but nevertheless, yeah. like it's it's a very promising first look into this film. It is the the whole tone of it looks probably more suited to the material than we've ever seen. Yeah, for sure. None oh. of those TV miniseries did it justice. Lord. David Lynch certainly didn't. As fun as his movie is, <laughs> whichever cut you you prefer, oh, David. So, yeah, looking forward to that one. Yeah. Um, I, I, here's the thing. Do you reckon it'll be a big box office draw
3: or will it be another Blade Runner where it's highly respected but it's not going to make a lot of cash? I don't know if it's going to – I don't. I personally am a little skeptical about its well, ability.
2: interesting. It depends when it drops because if it comes right on the sort of the, the end of coronavirus – People are going to be thirsty for whatever drops. That's a good point. Uh, I think that yeah, I think that just the the prestige behind it, the filmmaker behind it. Yeah, I think it's going to do pretty well.
3: Okay, no, that's good. Yeah, just because I wasn't sure. I, I you know how his films are more contemplative,
2: and, and now that Star Wars has kind of run its course as yeah. well, this might be a new sort of antidote for the the depression that's been left behind. <laughs> yeah,
3: that's right. A <laughs> uh, high quality solution.
2: Exactly. Uh, what about Doctor Strange 2, which is uh, been titled Doctor Strange Into the Multiverse of Madness. I love that title. It's a great title. Uh, Sam Raimi is Sam. on board to direct that one. This does excite me. I couldn't give a shit about the MCU. We've established that already. Mm. But Sam Raimi, love the guy. And he's directed possibly the greatest comic book superhero movie of all time, Spider-Man 2. Not three. Not three. No. Uh, No. We we can talk about that another time on movies that are really shit. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I would say I'm actually, you know me, I don't
3: really like Marvel either. Nothing, you know, if you like them, that's great. But they're just not my cup of tea. Or
2: coffee. Cup of tea. But
3: um, I'm pumped for this one too. Sam Raimi's great. Really enjoyed Spider-Man 1 and 2. They're great films. Very entertaining. A lot of personality. I believe there's a little Doctor Strange Easter egg mentioned in Spider-Man 2, which is interesting. I think J.K. Simmons, if I'm wrong, Met talks about Doctor Strange in that film. So it's interesting that he's he's now making it.
2: He's already got a connection. He
3: does. So it's a, yeah. It yes. it's,
2: well, it's being that it's a multiverse too, might they tap into his previous entries? Maybe they could. Toby Maguire just pops Get out of Toby some kind back. Of
3: wormhole. Get J.K. back in his, you know, maybe whiplash mode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, Doctor Strange, I mean, I love Benedict Cumberbatch, so... I,
2: I, I, Doctor Strange was, you know, one of my top three of those Marvel films.
3: I agree. I That's one of the six or seven that I've watched.
2: Those so. those ones that's kind of standalone are the better ones. Mm. Ant-Man, you know. Yeah, they're more intriguing. So, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, really looking forward to that. And finally, Home Alone <laughs> is being remade exclusively for Disney+. <laughs> yeah. Well. What do we say about this? Well, it stars that little fat kid from <laughs> Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> with a young man, he's going to get a workout around the house, that boy. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: um, yeah, look. It's a, uh, it's a bit of a nothing film. I mean, it hasn't got any kind of high caliber of talent no. attached to it other than a little fat kid from Jojo.
3: <laughs> it's like you can tell they've had a meeting and they're like, what what content can we fill you yeah. know, our space with? Oh, we'll make another home what, alone.
2: What properties do we own? We've just done Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. That's like, right. You know, we've announced that. What else can we announce? This is like... But it's... You know, that's the golden chalice, you know? That's the, right. The Home Alone franchise. Well, part one and two. Yeah. Arguably three. But after that... It's done. It's, it's just... It, yeah, yeah, it's rotten. So, I don't know. I, I'm not interested.
3: I would be interested in them getting Joe Peggy, Daniel Sten and Macaulay Culkin back to make a Home Alone. That could be really interesting. Yeah, the dark Home Alone. That could be... I know. Yeah, this one's on Halloween. That's right.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: after Macaulay's sort of gone out of rehab or something. It could be great. Oh, it anyway. would
2: be amazing anyway. One thing that we didn't plan to talk about, but we probably should, is the fact that a lot of people have passed away last week. Yeah, I know. Um, hard to remember all their names because we didn't plan <laughs> to talk about it, but Tim Brook Taylor being the major one. Absolutely. That, that yeah. was a big blow. That's a massive slice of my childhood. Yeah, you're a big fan. Absolutely. He was he was yeah, he was just with Monty Python, yeah. he was the British comedy source yeah, of this Yeah, He's brilliant. And he was tied to Python. They went to university together. Yeah. <laughs> Mention those boys in class. Oh, what a time. What a time. <laughs> um, who else passed away? Oh, I, I people are going to absolutely kill me right now. But the cinematographer for Steven Spielberg. E.T.? E.T. Yeah, i tip of my tongue too. Empire of the Sun. And we apologize to all those movie purists out there. Who you know this. Oh, we certainly didn't plan to talk about it. But he no. passed away and that's really sad. He did. Um,
3: Great work. Whoever you were. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, of, and of course, Brian Dennehy. That was a big. That was a big one. Big blow. I love this man. Once again, big chunk of my childhood. Yeah. There. You know, I think the go-to movies when I think of him were First Blood, um, FX, mm. and C- Cocoon. Yeah. Absolutely Cocoon. Yeah. That's that's a very underrated film. Yeah. Um, but you know, he, he's done so many over the years, he did presumed innocent with Harrison Ford and that's probably one of his best. That wow. was the, um, Ellen J. Pachala. Oh Pacala, yes. Um, yeah. film.
3: Yes. Of all the President's Men fame. Yes. Yeah.
2: Greta Scacci was also in that yeah. one. That yeah. is a great legal drama. Okay. Um, yeah, just what a presence that guy mm. had on screen. Absolutely. Um, and he's, his bad guy sheriff in first blood was Second to none, yeah, 100%. Yeah, you hate his gut, <laughs> yeah, that's, you really yeah, hate his guts. Absolutely. he was working right up to the end, you know, he he's, was uh, doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So, we definitely salute all the people that passed away last week. We apologize for not prepping the segment, but it just came to me then. And I'm gonna get myself out of this hole and I'll uh, throw it to Jarrett because he's gonna save my bacon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE class. Now, this week is a
0: big one, far healthier than last week. In fact, it's healthier than my current diet, which is. Consisting of a lot of Uber Eats as I really get tired of cooking. Uh, But my wife cooks amazing meals and makes for great company. Watching all the physical media we own as we spend so much time together in isolation. Anyway, Roadshow this week released Guy Ritchie's The Gentleman. Now as I mentioned on last week's Good Movie Monday, The gentleman is only getting a Blu-ray and DVD release locally, no 4K Ultra HD, if you want that you're gonna have to import it and I suggest you do, I'll tell you why in a tick. Anyway, this is Guy Ritchie's comeback movie in my opinion, I thoroughly enjoyed it and everyone I know really enjoyed it, it just didn't seem to get that success at the box office and subsequently there's so little awareness of the movie. Moving on to the special features, the local release ports over most of the special features from the international release or the US release to be particular and that's three featurettes and um they're pretty short featurettes they're really marketing fluff they're nothing major or fun where are the deleted scenes where the hell is a commentary uh the only thing we're missing out from the u.s release is a photo gallery so yeah i can definitely lose that but the reason you've got to pick up the u.s release be it blu-ray or 4k ultra or hd is the dolby atmos track which is sorely lacking on the local blu-ray in fact roadshow only seen fit to give us a DTS HD Master Audio track, so fuck that, I'll be importing the US release, thank you very much. Anyway, moving on to Universal, Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Now thank God to the Universal Pictures Gods, because they've released 1917 on 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray and DVD locally, and both the 4K Ultra HD and Blu-ray release feature the Dolby Atmos track that's present on the US release, so thank you Universal Pictures Gods. Now this release is packed for the special features, there's two commentary tracks which is huge and five featurettes so it's pretty loaded and it's a fantastic epic war movie from sam mendes really dug it also hitting the shelves from universal sony pictures home entertainment is little women now i've got to be thankful that sony pictures have decided to go with alternate art from the us for their local release which is far superior to the us's releases artwork and it's basically a port of the US disc. There's six featurettes on there ranging from like hair and makeup tests uh, to Greta Gerwig adapting the source in her particular style. Um, Interesting stuff but somewhat disappointing that there is no commentary track. Also out from Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment is Dragonheart Vengeance. Now for those counting this is the fifth sequel actually the fourth sequel and fifth film in the dragon heart franchise but then again who's counting and who cares because um they should just remake the original to be honest the original was fun but it could have been amazing and with all these shitty dtv sequels where the cgi quality of this latest one that's come out this year is pretty much on par with the cgi from the 1996 original Anyway, that's enough of that. Then coming out from Studio Canal this week is Bombshell on Blu-ray and DVD, Shaun the Sheep Farmageddon on Blu-ray and DVD, uh, and that Playmobile movie that no one cares about. No one saw it theatrically, and no one's gonna buy it on home entertainment, and it's only getting a DVD release. should just go straight to digital, or straight to streaming, straight to Netflix. Nobody cares. And my last bit of advice that I wanna share with you guys is you've gotta come and join me on a Friday night Online for Friday Fright Night, which is presented by Fangoria Times Monster Fest. It's basically a screening that we do every Friday night on the Monster Fest Facebook of a classic Monster Pictures title, and it's it's pretty much like a Monster Fest screening where we do a pre-show with some trailers and ads and things. Then we go into a short film. So far, we've had a run of award-winning short films from Monster Fest, and we're not letting up because this week's short film is Feast on the Young, which was an award winner in our 2018 Monster Monsterfest uh, awards. And the feature is The Eyes of My Mother, which is incredible if you haven't seen it from writer-director Nicholas Pesch. And if you haven't seen it, if you've seen his other work like Piercing or the recent Grudge sequel, whatever you wanna call it, then you need to see this because this is definitely his masterpiece today. It's incredible. So join me and a bunch of other good folk for Friday Fright Night, on the MonsterFest Facebook every Friday night from 9pm. Anyway, that's me for this week for PE class. I'll be talking to you next week. And, yeah, stay physical. Hi, I'm Andrew Mike Doyle, serial toilet paper hoarder and host of Remotely Funny, the quarantined comedy show. Each week during isolation, we're bringing you the best of Australian comedy direct from their homes straight to yours. Submissions are open for comedy acts to appear on the show and we'll be airing episodes each week on our dedicated YouTube channel. They'll be available to watch online after all our live screenings. See facebook.com forward slash remotely funny for all the details.
2: And I highly recommend that show, Remotely Funny. Uh, it's, it's embracing community spirit, um, and that's something that's really important right now. So be sure to check that out. Those guys are very funny. And the host, Andrew Mike Doyle, he's pretty damn funny. He's on point, so... Get onto that for shits and giggles. It is a relief to your quarantine blues. And before that, we heard from Jarrett. Please check out his Monsterfest Friday Fright Night. Last week, they did Cat Sick Blues. This is one of my favourite Australian films of the last, I don't know, five to ten years. It is. Let's say six to ten years because <laughs> of what we're about to talk about. <laughs> um, and this coming Friday, there will be a film they're screening called The Eyes of the Mother. Jarrett mentioned it. It's a very, very cool horror film with strong arthouse attributes. But now... It's all about you guys. Last week, we put out a call for your ideas of things to talk about, and while the response wasn't exactly overwhelming, we have plucked out some great stuff to get stuck into. Some nuggets. Now, can I just note, our mate Brody, all right, number one listener, two-time comp winner, <laughs> he suggested that we talk about Ausploitation films as a topic. And Tee. And look, he brought tears of joy to my eyes by saying <laughs> that. You know he did. But the, the the thing is, I talk about Ausploitation every single week on Scarefest television, so I don't think we should talk about it. However, if you want to hear me talk about everything Ausploitation, get on that. Yeah. And so what I'm going to do, as a halfway meeting point to Ausploitation, let's go with the best Australian films in general, of the last five years. And this one is thanks to our good mate Guillermo up at Screen Realm. So not only is he part of the show, he he participates on our social media discussions. So I thought Mm. it was an appropriate one to go with. I have a funny feeling that I'm going to approach this one a little differently to you, Keith.
3: Oh, well, I'd say, and I'm just going to say this right off about it, your knowledge <laughs> of Australian cinema is far outstrips mine.
2: Well, I think Aussie cinema gets a really bad rap in general. Yeah, um, I right. love nothing more than great Australian films. But I think perhaps over the last five to ten years, we've gotten a little more pretentious, mm. you know, with the whole Australian film. It feels to me that we're striving for accolade over entertainment. Yeah. Um, and we just don't give credence to those higher concept genre films like we used to. If you think about the movies that put Australia on the map, you know the ones that are recognised internationally. You're talking Mad Max, you're talking Crocodile Dundee, yeah. Young Einstein, Bubba Duck, Wolf Creek. Like these are the ones that gain traction yeah. elsewhere, and we're not really producing those anymore. No, and so I'm definitely going to come at this a little differently. <laughs> <to you. laughs> so before I reel off my top five or so, um, I'll say that on a personal note, we just need to refocus onto the genres, invest less in the laborious dramas and art house bullshit but that's just me. Dang. Like I said, apolitical, mate. Yeah. Uh, so should we, we take in turns?
3: Yeah, let's go for it. All right, what do you got? Well, I mean, I was just going to say Fury Road straight off the bat. I mean, I know, a, you know it's an international film,
2: I guess, or marketed no, that way. No, it, it's an Australian it's, uh, thank film. Thank you,
3: thank you. Just in case there's anyone sceptical, it's an Aussie film. So that's
2: an exception to what I was saying, yeah. right? Um, but it's a great exception.
3: That has to be, I mean... It's case in point. Yeah, that has to be the best Aussie film I've seen in the last five years. I mean, I'd Not say... Nominated how many Oscars? Yeah, it won six. Yeah. Uh, a phenomenal film. Massive hit. So I, I thought that was sensational. I know it's probably a boring answer, but I'd say that's probably the best. But there's... It's certainly
2: not a boring answer. No. I mean, we, we spent a good chunk of the last episode talking about it. That's so. true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, the one I've got first is one you will never have heard of. It's a film called Tanner from 2015. T-A-N-N-A. It is a, it's a film set in Vanuatu, Okay. Australian production, um, and it's essentially a Romeo and Juliet style of um, love story about two young tribal lovers who run away to avoid an arranged marriage. It's a really beautiful film. Yeah, um, okay. it, it got a lot of... You know, this also contradicts what I'm saying because it's a very arty kind of film. But this one did gain a bit of traction at the international film festivals and all that. More geographically speaking, it, it drew attention to Vanuatu and yeah, the cultures yeah. there. But definitely, Tana. I have to check that out. Tana Okay. What about? What are your thoughts on the dressmaker? The dressmaker. Well, I had that listed too. Ah, oh, there you go. I think the dressmaker is phenomenal. Yeah. I'm a big fan Jocelyn Morehouse. This was her return. It's a great. Film. A lot of people like a lot of people in film know that she disappeared for a good 15 years or so. Mm. A lot of people don't know why and that was so that she could raise her autistic child. Yeah, um, well wow. and there's I think Australian Story featured an episode on her and why wow. she stepped away okay. from the camera. And the dressmaker was a brilliant return to form. It was. It's
3: yeah. You it know, was unforgiven with a sewing machine, man. Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> it's but it's just it's cut from the same cloth. Excuse the pun. <laughs> as um, the year my voice broke, you mm-hmm. know that kind of Aussie yeah. sort of flavour. Yeah, Kate Winslet's amazing. She's awesome. Great accent. She yeah, good, she's yeah. she's one of the greats. So okay. my my next one's from two thousand and fifteen once again. I think two thousand and fifteen you know it comes in pretty strong with my list. Mm. Girl Asleep. Have you heard of this one? I have heard of it. So Haven't seen it. It's a wonderfully quirky film. It's very Wes Anderson in its in its vibe and its okay. feel, and it's about a girl who struggles to grow up, so she lives mostly inside her own imagination. And it was made by a company, a, a production company in Adelaide called the Windmill Theatre Company, okay. and they produce like kids' theatre, yeah. But very, like I said, Wes Anderson style of you know, aesthetic, yeah. So that's a beautiful film. I wish it had done more, mm. uh, it didn't, but um, Girl Asleep, look for it. I think Umbrella have it on Blu ray, it's okay. beautiful, yeah. Well. What are you next?
3: Well, I was going to say The Water Diviner, but I think it came out in 2014. But
2: oh, I, yeah, I don't know what year I don't that know. was. Maybe let, it was 2015. Let's just include it for argument's sake. It was 2015, people. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of
3: that? Russell Crowe, yeah. directorial effort.
2: It's so strange that you bring it up because I did bust out the Blu-ray the other night to watch it. Mm. Never got around to it. Chose mm. something else instead. Uh, yeah, it's it's good. It's good. Um, it's a very glippily esque yeah. kind of Thing you could say it's a little bit cliched and yeah contrived, but that doesn't matter. It's good. The, good, the good films often are. That's right. Um, yeah, I think it was a strong directorial yeah, debut. I think so. I mean, that's why I, I Was curious to see how he we went. I guess. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. No, that definitely yeah. tick of approval there from me. Yeah. Uh, two thousand and sixteen saw a really, really powerful film called Hounds of Love. I've heard of that. Yeah, this is um, not the cable ab- show. absolutely <laughs> brutal. It's a horrific, dramatic thriller about a serial killer and his wife, and they kidnap a local girl for torture and sexual deprivation. <laughs> yeah, uh, sounds like, like you're it's, and it, <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is as horrific as it sounds, but it's also really haunting. Okay, I'm uh, sure. Yeah, Stephen Curry is the main lead in it. He is well, phenomenal in it. It's a great, real yeah. great actor. It's, 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 he plays against type. Yeah. Like you can't believe. Directed by Ben Young, who's actually gone on to Hollywood. He did a film yeah. called Extinction for Netflix. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's got a few more things lined up. Uh, it, it is Back when we were doing the Fake Champ Awards on our website, I gave that film of the year. Okay. The, the I'll best. have to check both of those. So, out. But be prepared for something grueling. It's, you know, Snowtown grueling. Yeah. um But much more, oh, I guess, beautiful in the way it's filmed. Yeah, okay. Yeah.
3: Wow. Interesting. Poetic almost. Poetic. <laughs> there
2: dead. we go. Now, that's as deep as I'm going to get.
3: That's yeah. I mean, I'm kind of I'm kind of down with my Aussie titles, all unless right. you want to talk about the greatest Aussie film of all time, which of course is Chopper.
2: Chopper's great, well, that that falls out of the <laughs> yeah, <I know>. falls <laughs> out of the time frame. But I right, have got a few more. I'll reel off, uh, and then we'll move on. Um, Manny Lewis. Now this is from 2015. Also, it is actually my second favorite Australian rom com. Okay. Uh, next to the Big Steel with Ben Mendelsohn uh, yep, and Claudia yep. Carvin. Now this is. It, you know, I love it when Australian rom coms sort of match the American quality of rom-com, you know. Mm. This is very much an Annie Hall meets top five, top five being the Chris Rock film. Mm. Uh, And it's Carl Barron, the stand-up comedian. It's a semi-autobiographical story about him as a successful stand-up who struggles to connect with women. Wow. And he just meets that one woman that he clicks with. And it's practically the two of them walking around town, very similar to Before Sunset, you know, interacting with each other and getting to know each other. But... Absolutely divine. Yeah. Really beautiful. That sounds great, actually. Next one you'll really like. It's called Porno. Now, P-A-W-N-O. Yeah. Uh, 2015. Oh, there Ooh, it is. There it is. Uh, I can't praise this one high enough. It's a real ocker Robert Altman kind of film. Wow. Right? So, if you can imagine, I guess, actually, a really good comparison is the movie Smoke with Harvey Keitel. Have you seen that one? I haven't. No, I haven't well, seen it. if you've seen Smoke, guys and girls, and it's just like that. So, mm. it's essentially about a porn store on the western suburbs of Melbourne and it's about the customers that come and go and interact with the, mm. the owner um, who's played by John Brumpton, Okay. Classic Aussie actor. Um, so yeah, imagine Robert Altman, Paul Thomas Anderson even is a bit of Magnolia because it's all these interactive <laughs> yeah, stories. Yeah, wow. Uh it's, it's a lot shorter than their films. <laughs> uh, but it is absolutely beautiful and it is written wonderfully. Mm. I won't go into detail with too many more other than just to reel off a few titles. Lion, the, um, oh, yeah. how did
3: I not mention that? There you yeah, go. Of course. How good's that? That's a great film.
2: Brothers Nest, which was um, made by the Jacobson brothers who made Kenny, a very dark comedy. I can't do this episode without mentioning The Legend of Ben Hall. Oh, of course. The fact that I talk about that non-stop on fakechamp.net means I don't have to go into it right here, right now. Yeah. Uh, and Top End Wedding, which was released last year, is once again, it's like an Australian indigenous version of My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Mm. It's very funny. It's very nice to see. That culture being presented to an international audience yeah, in a way that's palatable. Yeah, it's not about, you know, like the history. It's, yeah, yeah, no, it's just yeah. about two lovers one British, yeah, one Indigenous. Great. Yeah, it's a great film. So before we move on to the next point of discussion, if you do love Aussie cinema, and you should, uh, then check out Ozflix. Aus That's Australia's premium streaming service, 100% Aussie content with an aim to host every Aussie film ever made. So wow. I know a lot of our listeners know about them. It's worth a subscription, not too expensive, and um, they do a great package kind of deal. They package it to your like.
0: We
3: interrupt this program to bring you a motivational message from Wes
2: of Scarefest Television.
0: Carol Burnett once said, only I can change my life. No one can do it for me. Unless there's like a tragic accident and then it's kind of bullshit.
2: So a good friend of ours, Simon, hit us up on Facebook uh, last week. Following our discussion on soundtracks, he wants to know about our thoughts on movie scores, our favourite movie scores. And mm. shit, man, I reckon um, we might come at this from different angles. I'd say we probably will. <laughs> I have you pegged for... Maricone, um, Herman, John Williams, and the like. Am I right? Potentially, yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So what uh, are what some of your favorite scores?
3: What am I... So, okay. All right. So you mentioned Morricone. I would have to say, if I had to pick one, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly is a phenomenal film score. Amazing. It it just ticks all the boxes. It's memorable. It's got a great theme tune. It's got great cues throughout it.
2: When it Plenty. comes to top five iconic pieces of music. Yeah. it's It's incredible.
3: There. I love it. Once Upon a Time in the West probably just as good. Mm-hmm. I picked I'd say good about Ellie if I had to pick one just cuz it's a bit more fun. Yep. But um Once Upon a Time in the West, what an incredible piece Wh- of work. Which one's the, the the whistle one? Oh, that's good about the yeah, Ugly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Once Upon a Time in the West is the harmonica theme, yeah. You know? yep, yeah, it's yeah. Oh. What a genius that man is. It yep. wasn't he's done countless great scores, has not he? He
2: really he really composes his music with the environment in mind. Yeah.
3: Yeah, he's phenomenal. Like, right, it's those two. So, yeah, and then I mean Obviously, John Williams—he's a, a weapon. I think, I mean, John Williams' Superman is actually my favorite John Williams score. I'd really? say that is an amazing piece of work. First film, underrated, incredible. Yeah, the first one, um, incredible score, amazing. Isn't it,
2: isn't it strange? Like you can you can peg his music from a mile away. Yeah, you know it's him. You know, like you take take the iconics. You know your Superman, Star Wars. Yeah, you line them up next to each other, they sound very similar. Yeah, they do. Right, they do. Like in your mind, you could be whistling what you think is the Superman. Yeah theme, but it's actually Star Wars. Yeah. But then when you actually pay attention to them, the intricacies are so much oh, different. absolutely. You know, the inflections. This is, yeah.
3: It's an amazing, yeah, Superman, an amazing film score. Yeah, totally yeah. agree. And I guess, I Bernard Herrmann, or Bernard, Bernie, you're a legend, Bernie. mate, has to be the greatest film composer of all time, in my
2: humble opinion. Oh, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'd go that far, just because I don't know a lot. So you're... You're well more versed on this subject than I am. I don't know if I'd call him the best. Okay, No, that's fair. But, you know, that Psycho.
3: Psycho. I mean, he did a lot of Hitchcock. Psycho, I mean, north by northwest. Yeah. I mean, I could go... You could just go down the line. I'm pretty sure he did the trail with Harry, the man who knew too much. He did Citizen Kane, Glenn. I mean, we're talking...
2: there's going to be a lot of discussion taxi driver.
3: about it. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, no, real off more, man. Reel off more. No, no, I'm, like, good, I'm good. Did he do Taxi Driver? He did Taxi Driver. Last ever film score, and he died before the film came out. That is an amazing film score. Oh, incredible. Of course, I had no
2: idea it was him. Yeah. Wow. And
3: different, very jazzy.
2: That's probably why. Yeah. Like.
3: <laughs> Vertigo, what an incredible score.
2: Yeah. Well, excellent. Uh, well, I kind of knew we'd be coming at this from different angles, mate. So, I guess this gives me an opportunity, I guess, to taste some of the lower-hanging fruits. <laughs> <Yeah>, I <indeed. laughs> But that's not to be disrespectful no, to these people. Of course not. Because I think you will, you know, some of these you will like. So I'm going to reel off four. Go on. The first one, and I am an unabashed fan of Tony Ripperetti. Now, this is a guy who's composed the scores for 32 of Albert Pune's films. Yeah, of course. And the standout for me is easily the guitar heavy score from the director's cut of Cyborg. Okay. This is really atmospheric stuff. Originally, his score was rejected for the film mm. because it was a little too ambitious. Okay. So they actually went with another guy's score. But when the director's cut came along, they re- re-released the film as Slinger. That was a new title, which was the original title. Wow. And his music got reinstated. Yeah. And it's just glorious. You can get it on CD. I've got it, and I play it a lot. You know, okay. when it's very atmospheric. It's yeah. very post-apocalyptic. Yeah, so Tony Ripperetti. Tony. Most of his stuff is quality. Yep. I can't I can't have this discussion without <laughs> mentioning John Carpenter. Of course. I mean, come off it. I mean, just the simplicity of his synth is genius. Mm. Look at that Halloween thing. Mm. Like, I mean, memorable. we're talking Herman, right? Yeah. This is influenced by that. Yeah. And and Williams with Jaws. Like it's yeah. the it's the way it's just those couple of notes yeah. played over and over. It's memorable. And it is just iconic. Um, but not only that, he did the sci-fi. Uh, scores for Escape from New York, pretty much everything he made. Yeah, but I think his most underrated would have to be Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Yeah, okay. It's one of those very synth-heavy seventies, you know, tracks mm. that just sort of pierces you. Yeah, you know, I think piercing is yeah. a good word for that one. Indeed, you know, very apt. And John Carpenter, of course, has gone and toured. his scores, you know, live, you know, to audiences. Yeah, he wears a trench coat, with sunglasses. What Jarrett it? went and saw him. Of course he did. You know, and then I have to give sort of a, a tip of the hat to Tangerine Dream. Ah, yes. Now, similar to John Carpenter, their sound is really unique and of its time. A bit of a time capsule. But the standout scores for me, they did Sorcerer. Mm. Uh, They did Near Dark and Miracle Mile. These are iconic. Sorcerer. Yes. Amazing score. Sorcerer, amazing score. Which, was that their first? I think that was one of their first. I think Dead Kids, the Aussie film, was also one of their earlier ones. But they did two Michael Mann films. (laughs) They did Thief and The Keep. Wow. Well, yeah.
3: It's not Manhunter. Not Manhunter. Yeah, there you go. That oh, surprises well, they me.
2: did, and I just don't know it. Yeah, no. And uh, last but certainly not least, this is going to raise a giggle from some people, Richard Band. This is the son of Albert Band, the brother to Charles Band, B-movie racketeer. <laughs> um, he scored over 100 films. Wow. And most of them trashy B-movies from Full Moon, his brother's production company, but the one that stands out is absolutely phenomenal, and there is no there is no argument about this. All right, <laughs> it is the Reanimator theme, oh, of course, which in and of itself is you know um, it's a direct homage to the Psycho score. Yeah, and I'm gonna play it for you in a little in in a few minutes, and you will hear the the iconic similarities, and then it just goes off in its own direction, yeah. and it's just amazing. So they stand on the shoulder of giants
3: and just deviate.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, his brother. Charles Band rips everyone off in the industry, yeah. so the fact that this score is rip-off just suits the yeah, bill, mate. But some other scores, let's just run through a few others. It's just a yeah. memorable. These are ones that I think influenced me in my teenage years the most. Um, Picnic at Hanging Rock. Yes. Those flutes. yeah, Which is gorgeous. Sus- Suspiria, of which course. was by Goblin. Tron Legacy, Daft Punk. Tron, I mean, yeah. It wasn't my teenage years, but it was a, a contemporary yeah, score that I absolutely. think is just very undervalued. Uh, Romper Stomper. yeah, That... Uh, you know, yeah. Deep parent, <laughs> oh my god, it sends chills down my spine. The proposition and assassination of Jesse James by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. Is a great score. I yeah. play that I think Nick Cave when he when he sort of and Warren Ellis, when they get stuck into music scores, I think they do really wonderful Absolutely. things. Absolutely. Yeah. The social network, Trent mm-hmm. Reznor and I Atticus was gonna Ross. I was
3: gonna mention that. That is a modern classic. Yeah. Uh, that is score.
2: definitely uh when I need to get creative, I put that yeah, on. Yeah, that's a know? sensational score. Yeah. Um or yeah. Johnny Greenwood. Yeah, I there mean, if, if you're a fan of just his music in general, um, I'm talking out of, sco- out of <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking Johnny Greenwood, um, you can just put that on as if it's one of their albums, like yeah, it just flows, it's but great. Okay, go back to what you were just saying.
3: Alright, so I'm going to go, if we're going to go modern scores, I'm going to go There Will Be Blood and The Master by the big boy from Radiohead, Johnny Greenwood. Modern classics, particularly There Will Be Blood, what a sensational original score. How right. do I,
2: how'd I know you're going to say that? Oh, I just look, you know, it is though. A
3: man of taste you know, speaks <laughs> about his taste, but I, I have to quickly. I just have to mention the music of John Barry, what a legend, yeah, five-time Oscar winner. I'll just put that out there. But his scores, particularly obviously, I talk about Bond, but his Bond scores are phenomenal pieces of work. Quite often, the films didn't deserve them. I would say if you're going to check it out, if you're going to work out, chuck on. You only live twice. On Her Majesty's Secret Service, amazing scores, John Barry. You're an
2: absolute legend. Once again, iconic.
3: Indeed. Um Silence of the Lambs, Howard Shaw. That's oh, yeah. one that's Howard a great Shaw. score.
2: Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That, once again, atmospheric. Absolutely. Uh, the only other one I was going to mention, and this is quite different to a lot of scores, is the Heaven and Earth score. You know, the o- Oliver Stone film yes. with Tommy Lee Jones. Okay. It's all composed by Kitaro and it's that sort of um that, that Vietnamese infusion. It's it's just very cultural. Know. Yeah, well, it's not okay. an easy one to put on and just listen to to get comfortable or, <laughs> or you know to relax to, but it's Mr. just White's. haunting stuff. Yeah, 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 so anyway, I feel myself rambling, so we're <laughs> going to take it to the next conversation. Um, but beforehand, let's listen to a piece of music you've chosen.
3: Yes, this is Ecstasy of Gold by Ennio Morricone. Iconic scene, iconic music. You've probably heard it before, but you know what? Hear it again, it's a gift that keeps on giving.
1: Hey everyone, it is Adam here from Adam's Just Seen with a review of Never, Really Sometimes, Always. And that is in reference to a sexual quiz our 17-year-old protagonist takes at the halfway mark of this film. And it is possibly the most moving scene that you will see all year. And a lot of that credit can go to director Eliza Hitman, who here minds the subject of abortion, for an incredible amount of empathy and tenderness this is a harrowing film and it is bleak in parts but as I referenced the tenderness here at the heart of it is what makes it special and that's because Hitman gets the most out of her actors this is a two-hander it's a character study Sydney Flanagan as Autumn our protagonist is unbelievable and most of the acting takes place on her face and you can just feel the emotion coming from this girl. It is a quietly devastating performance. And she is offered amazing support here by Talia Ryder as her cousin Skylar, who is just there as this pillar of support, and you can feel this undeniable connection between the two girls. They travel from Pennsylvania to New York and they encounter some relatively unsavoury male characters along the way but this movie is not preachy and it's not heavy-handed and it just lays things out the way that they are and that naturalistic approach makes this movie much much more powerful in my opinion and it really rocked me and i think that the best thing about film has always been for me its ability to create empathy and i am not a pregnant 17 year old girl from pennsylvania but I felt like one by the end of this movie and for me, that means that it is a huge success. So I would give this film five stars. Never, really, Sometimes, Always is definitely going to be an awards contender. It is sitting on an obscenely fresh 99% on Rotten Tomatoes and about 92 on Metacritic, which is just kinda of out of this world. Um, it will probably, yeah, be an awards contender and I would love to see the girls get nominated for some awards. I think Eliza Hittman is an absolute director to watch and yeah, if she can make more films like this where she finds a very, you know, powerful potent subject and captures it in this naturalistic way well then we are in for some future treats so five stars from me and that's all i got for this week wow
2: five stars well that's clearly a film to look out for it is on amazon prime so it's great to hear from adam again he wasn't able to join us last week so cheers to him thanks ben. and our next topic of discussion uh was once again suggested by our good mate guillermo up at screen realm By the looks of it, he's a bit of an attention whore, Mm. but you know what? He's a good mate, and (laughs) I think this topic was far too odd not to discuss. So he suggested we talk about Trapped on Island movies. Great idea. So fire away, Keith. Well,
3: let's go with a classic from the 60s. What about Lord of the Flies? I'm talking the 1963
2: version. Isn't that a go-to? It is a (laughs) go-to. Absolute staple. Confronting.
3: Yeah. Confronting, hard-hitting for the 60s, but those kids... Little is it piggy? No, oh, like Poor <laughs> piggy. Four <Piggy. laughs> pigs. Sorry, son. Uh, well, did you like the remake? Ah, oh, I've seen it once years ago. I prefer. I'd say that if I was going to watch one of them, it'd be the one from the sixties. But it's because you're an intelligent human indeed. being, indeed, <laughs> man of taste. But, so, yeah. what
2: are some others? Surely, there's some oh, classics that come to mind.
3: Oh, well, Castaway is the obvious one, isn't it? I mean, Wilson. I still haven't recovered, let's be honest. The moment where he loses Wilson is just one of the all-time <laughs> heartbreaking moments in the cinema for me. What a film. Well, it's a great film. It's, I actually watched it recently.
2: Holds up really well. It's Zemeckis. I'd say it's one of his very best. I would agree. I don't did know, did I, you know like th- that he made the movie What Lies Beneath in between shoots? on this oh, I did not know that. So in order for Tom Hanks to either gain or lose weight, I got it. they went away for three months to that let him do that. Yeah. And they made a whole other movie, which that is makes a sense. great movie with yeah. Harrison Ford.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'll say that. Never yes. cast
2: away. I remember seeing that at the cinemas was blown away.
3: Oh same. I really I was young at the time. It really impacted me in a powerful way actually. I still think it's a great film. It um it moves it's super it goes quick. Like it moves like gangbusters. You think this with one actor I suppose it shows how captivating Hanks is maybe his best performance. Yeah. Actually I'm gonna say his best performance, spammy Forest Gump, spammy. It's Castaway, but that's that's a
2: classic film. Yeah, well, it's interesting too because I thought when I saw that for the first time, the the final act when he returns, mm. spoiler alert, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> that bothered me a little bit because okay. it took away from what the film was. But I think in retrospect, you watch those scenes and what he's lost, yeah. you know, it's powerful. Oh, it hits hard. It, it got me in the feels when I saw it a few months
3: back. Are <laughs> there some others? There are well. What about six days, seven nights? Is yeah, I got that right? Yeah, that's Harrison Ford. Harrison never forget it when he kills and cooks the peacock.
2: That's um Ivan Reitman, I think.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's a great, genius. <laughs> indeed, is it Anne? Oh, Anne Hes. Anne Hes. That's how you say yeah. it. Haven't seen Anne in a while.
2: No, I think she's on television or yeah, something. Yeah, probably. Maybe <laughs> she's still stuck on the island. But that's that's a good film.
3: That's an entertaining. Yeah, film. I think that's pretty yeah, fun. Late nineties action thriller.
2: What about um Blue Lagoon? Blue Lagoon, yeah, that's quality. Yeah.
3: I, I think I've seen that... Oh, I saw that once years
2: ago, You certainly couldn't make that in today's <laughs> day <and> age. <laughs> Although they've made like crappy reboots and stuff, for, you know, streaming. It's mm. just not the same. No. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah,
3: that's a good one, I remember, yeah.
2: I remember part two. Um, Gus Mercurio rocks up for no reason. It's strange... Of
3: course you remember Part 2.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. I will not concede that. Um, Swiss Family Robinson. Of course. Yeah, that's yeah. a classic. Shipwrecked. Like these ones yeah. from the Disney canon, and yeah. I used to love those as there's a hit. There's plenty. I mean, I don't know if Treasure Island counts, but I used to yeah. love Treasure Island. Yeah. That's great. Um, there's one called The Island, directed by Michael Ritchie, back that's in the 80s with Michael Caine.
3: Haven't seen that one. Yeah. Wow, Michael Caine.
2: Yeah. I want to give the Michael Caine terror at the moment. I should check it out. Well, here's a weird one for you. There's one called The Savage is Loose. Have you heard of this? <laughs> this was directed by George C. Scott. You're kidding me. I am you. not. And it's available in full on YouTube. Is it an auto bio? Oh, mate, get a load of this. It's about a, a, a father, a mother, and a son that get stranded on an island. This is back in like 1902, something like that. It's very colonial. Yeah. And over the course of a few years, the boy grows into puberty and then becomes infatuated with his mother. Wow. And then it becomes a fight for her attention between the father and the son. Wow. Yeah. Now, insane. I'm sure that's based on a novel of some sort. I would hope so. But that's controversial stuff for a film of its time. I think this was 1977 <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Wow. And George C. Scott directing. That
3: sounds insane.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, the Savage is loose. Like, look it up. I'm not kidding you. Dang. I've got three here that come to mind. Like, when, when I read this suggestion, I thought, well, here's three that I can go to yeah. easily. And I know that Keith's probably not going to suggest them. Maybe one, but not, not the others. Maybe one. What was that one? Battle Royale? Yeah. Yeah, I, I knew it. Battle
3: Royale came to mind. Absolutely. That is a classic film. Yeah. Brilliant. One of the most influential films of the last 20 years. Easy, I reckon.
2: Yeah. Mind you, it's also... Is it a ripoff? off It's influenced by many others yeah, that have come course. before but, it's, it's but it, but it kind of it. it took something that was a concept and just refashioned it yeah. and made it completely incredible. Uh, there's
3: three of them in the series? I know I've yeah, seen okay. two. I know, I, I, I'm only aware of two. There maybe are.
2: there's a third, maybe there's not. Let's, uh, let's get okay. a fact check from yeah, all of you listening it. to us. All right, here's the two that you weren't going to talk, talk about. It's Alive 3, <laughs> Island of the Alive, Now, this is uh, Larry Cohen's third and unexpected installment of his infamous trilogy. Unexpected. So after the events of the first two films, these were films about little mutant babies running around killing lots of people. The government scooped them all up, dumped them on an island and just sort of leave them to to their own device. But (laughs) then you get a, a political activist that wants to save them Takes himself to the island and, wow. well, you know what happens. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, in terms of cult films, that's it's a really underrated film. cult. Top shelf That's a Glenn kind of film. And then we've got um, George Romero's sixth installment of his dead franchise, Survival of the Dead. Okay. So it's almost a refashioning of his original Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. It's the closest he's gotten to that original story as far as the sequels all go. Mm. Uh, but it all takes place on a small island. And, um, you know, it's the humans go to this island to seek refuge, but the... Zombies somehow find their way across <laughs> by way of ferry. <laughs> but I love it. Like it's his most lampooned and lambasted kind of um, installment in the series. Both. It's not well received, but I think I think it's time has served it well. Yeah, it's aged gracefully. It, that's what I would say. It's been eleven years, I think, since it got released. Okay. I went back to it last year. I mm. think it holds up well. Yeah. Um. He did rely a little too heavily on digital, but you know what doesn't have these days. That's right.
3: What about, um, I'm surprised you didn't say swept away, mate. Madonna. Yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, what an unsung gem. We might have already hit our Guy Richie <laughs> quota for this episode. Nims Island, how about that? I haven't seen that. Nims Island too? <laughs> well, obviously I haven't seen <laughs> Nims Island too. But this whole listeners choice thing, like I said earlier, let's do it again. We've had some more suggestions roll in. We'll put the call out again closer to whenever we do that because I think this is a fun way to do an episode. Absolutely. You know, when we haven't got anything else to fall back That's on. right. <laughs> but now, anyway, let's head over to Guillermo and see what he's got.
4: What's happening, everybody? Guillermo here from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favourite entertainment website covering all things film and television. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Hope your Easter break was nice. A little bit less on the side this week due to the public holiday, but there's still some stuff for us to cover. The studio Powerhouse, that is Disney, is now looking at Robin Hood as the latest animated classic, to receive the remake treatment. A redo of the 1973 animated film will be directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada and written by Carrie Grunland. Estrada earned wide acclaim for his first feature film, 2018's crime comedy drama Blindspotting. He's also directed a number of music videos for artists such as Billie Eilish. Grunland, on the other hand, is firmly in the Disney family, having written the Disney Plus release Lady in the Tramp remake, and also co-writing the studio's upcoming Godmothered, starring Gillian Bell and Isla Fisher. The remake will again be a musical, and will be brought to life as a live-action CG hybrid, sticking with the talking animals angle. As long as this stays far, far away from the stylings of cats, let's have our fingers crossed. We had two reviews go up this week, the first from Adam Fleet for a film called Vivarium, starring Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots. Looking to buy a house, this couple goes to investigate a property on the Yonder housing estate. They soon find that they are unable to make their way out of the estate. Driving around for hours, they discover themselves back where they started, in front of the house they were viewing. Now this is an odd little film, it's definitely for acquired tastes. It didn't quite grab Adam, who wrote, There's certainly enough initial intrigue as the premise is weird and enticing and the two central performances from Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots give the movie legs. But the film's puzzle is its undoing. With no real logic at play, anything could happen. But because there are seemingly no rules here, the consequences are hard to fathom beyond the fact that they simply cannot escape. As a result, it's hard to engage with either story or character. As a positive, Adam does point out that we should all admire a movie for stepping outside of convention and if bleak satire is your bag, then Vivarium might just be the ticket. Two out of five stars for Vivarium, which is released in Australia by Umbrella Entertainment on VOD April 16 and will be on Fox Cell on demand May 6th. The next film we had reviewed is the British drama Sorry We Missed You from acclaimed UK filmmaker Ken Loach whose credits include Sweet 16, The Angels Share and I Daniel Blake. Hagen Osborne reviewed this film about a UK delivery driver and his wife struggling to raise a family and being trapped in the vicious cycle that is today's modern form of labour exploitation. Hagen was impressed by this film. In his review he wrote, it is an eye for fervent storytelling that aims for the heart and jugular, with crafting a timely piece of work that ought not to be apologetic for its confronting portrayal of class. This is an emotional little film with great performances. If you haven't seen it I really suggest you do four out of five stars from Hagen. Sorry We Missed You is now available on DVD and Blu-ray thanks to Icon Film Distribution. Some big trailers went up we finally got the trailer for the Tom Hardy starring Capone which was previously known as Fonzo. Chronicle and Fantastic Four director Josh Trank has been trying to get this one up and running for a long, long time. The film stars Tom Hardy as notorious gangster Al Capone, who here is at age 47, out of jail after spending almost 10 years locked up, and he's now suffering severe dementia. Memories of his brutal past are beginning to melt into his present. Linda Cardellina plays Mayor Capone, Jack Loudon plays FBI agent Crawford, amongst the cast that includes Noel Fisher, Matt Dillon, and Kyle McLaughlin. It's a pretty good little trailer, it's quite energetic, it looks pretty brutal and Tom Hardy, as usual, looks to be putting in his all, so let's have our fingers firmly crossed for it. Another trailer that stood out to me was one for The Eddie, an upcoming limited Netflix series from acclaimed La La Land and Whiplash Oscar winner Damien Chazelle. Andre Holland, who you may know from Moonlight and Castle Rock*, plays a former New York jazz pianist and now co-owner of a struggling live music venue located in the heart of Paris. Everything hits the fan when it's revealed that his business partner could have some shady practices threatening the club. And on top of that, his daughter has suddenly arrived in Paris to live with him. There looks to be a lot going on here. Music performances, crime, family drama. I'm a big fan of Chazelle, Whiplash and La La Land. Are both incredible films in my opinion. And he directs two of the Eddie's eight episodes and is also on board as executive producer. It's a good trailer. Check it out if you haven't. We also had a fun and very gory top 10 go up this week. Top 10 moments zombies got their kills in cinema. Now, there's a lot of top 10s and lists out there regarding the best scenes where people slaughter zombies. So we decided we're going to look at it the other way around and get pretty dark. We've got Shaun of the Dead in there, Land of the Dead, The Horde. We've included all the clips as well. So it does get pretty bloody. You've been warned but it's a really fun top 10 if you're a horror zombie fan. That about does it for me, guys. Be sure to also jump on YouTube and check out Loud Observers, the podcast I run with my wife. Episode two is now up. Enjoy that. Thanks so much, guys. Follow Screen Realm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm out.
0: Live from America's premier horror and paranormal convention, every Friday night, Scarefest Television brings you guests from the horror and paranormal fields, plus featured movie reviews, entertainment features, and short films. Watch us live every week at ScarefestRadio.com or via Facebook and Twitter by following The Scarefest. Scarefest Radio, the radio you can see.
3: So a bit more news, Glenn. I noticed that uh, the trailer dropped for the new Alphonse Capone <laughs> biopic by, by starring Tom Hardy titled Capone. Original. Indeed. <laughs> Saw the trailer. Don't know what to make of you this one. You know what? One. I didn't like it. No, nah, neither did I.
2: But you know what I realised while I'm watching? I don't really like Tom Hardy. You don't like Tom? I think for me
3: he's hit and miss. I think when he gets too theatrical or too... Um, you know, a thespian, great actor with a lot of makeup is when he can be really on the nose. Yeah,
2: and you know this trailer. I don't think he uttered a single word throughout the whole trailer. No, and right, you can see right through him. It yeah. was like you are not good at what you're doing. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like this guy shits me. Yeah, <laughs> strong words. From I'm the trying to man. articulate right now what shits me about him. I think you said it right. I think he's an overactor.
3: Yeah, I. Th- it looks like some fair. He's chomping on that cigar. Way too much. Yeah, it had Bronson vibes for me actually. The film, which is a film I didn't like that much, really either. I, I did like. That. Yeah, okay,
2: but I do feel like you know the same, probably the same thing with Timothy Chalamet. I think the ego gets in the way, Timmy. You know, I just think his ego is bloated. Yeah, okay. and I think he chooses roles to to suit his ego. Yeah, for sure. I think
3: he's best when he does the least amount, like Dunkirk, yep. Mad Max.
2: Yeah, uh, Inception.
3: Yeah, those type yeah. of roles. I do like him in The Revenant. It has to be said. Hey, he's great in The Revenant. Yeah.
2: And once again, I'm not. I'm not dismissing him as a good actor. Yeah, but he I think it, all too often he's far too theatrical. There are moments where he goes whatever over the yeah. top. he goes Pacino level. Hey, before he was famous, he was a villain in Star Trek. He was Star Trek Nemesis. He's
3: in Layer Cake. Yeah, like, he's in. La- apparently, him and Daniel Craig hate each other or hated each other on that film.
2: Wow, interesting little tidbit. But see, here's the thing: like before he was a household name. He was doing some really cool, interesting stuff. And I think, you know, I think that fucking ego got me. Yeah. Oh, he's a movie star now, isn't he? He is. He's a big boy. Hey, I did I did like Warrior, that was good. Yeah,
3: Warrior. I haven't seen that, but I've heard that's sensational. I really need to get around to seeing that. I saw a legend, you know. Yeah, this could be another maybe another one of those, like maybe an average biopic about a famous infamous figure. Yeah. It doesn't look too promising. I know it's told from like the end of his life when he's got syphilis and he's cooked it and he's, you know, he's not wielding that baseball bat. <laughs> I think, look at let's look at De Niro and The Untouchables. That is the portrayal of Al. That's, that's the go-to, <laughs> that mate. That is the go-to. But
2: so yeah. let, let's talk about recommendations because I know I'm not interested in watching that film, to be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> Indeed. Arguably my favourite part of the show. This is where we get to dish out a couple of recommendations. It's uh, a sweet slice of cake that we're serving this week.
3: Oh, it's tasty.
2: Uh, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'm going to serve you up a bit of
3: British cake, a bit of British fare, uh, which is actually a great link to my film, which features a very famous scene in a British cake store. I'm, of course, talking about the 1987 cult British classic with nail and iron. Wow. Directed by Bruce Robinson. there are uh, SBS On Demand. I've got a whole bunch of great classic British films. I watched a few, so I thought I'd recommend this one. This one is a brilliant film. A classic to many, but probably unknown to some.
2: Yeah, definitely.
3: Produced by George Harrison by Handmade Pictures, which is another draw for me.
2: It is a quirky movie. It is
3: bizarre. I didn't like it the first time I saw it. It just didn't land for me, the humour. I've seen it about four or five times now, and it's great. It's a brilliant film. It's very funny, but incredibly tragic.
2: It's Richard E. Grant at the top of
3: his game, right at the start. One of the greatest film characters ever, I'm going to say it. Amazing. He underrated, like in terms of... The reception it got at the time. His performance. He's Oscar worthy. This,
2: this is the man that made Spice World. This, <laughs> yeah, is, the, indeed. this is the man that did Catherine Kimdurella. Indeed. Should have won the Oscar for this. Oh, not not Catherine Kimdarella. <laughs> no.
3: <laughs> what else is he in? This is this is the man. Well, Jared right, and I will
2: always go to Warlock and Rise you know. of Skywalker Fame. Oh jeez. <laughs> Did you see his video for the Rise of Skywalker promotions? I haven't seen it. You know that, when no. they first you know, dropped the teaser? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did like, it was, was the worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah. He's looking to the camera, it's like on I don't know, Twitter or something, and he's like, this is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful film. <laughs> and he's so passionate about how, Beautiful yeah, it is. he's trying like, oh, hard, mate, you're mate a Yeah, go back to With Now. He's also. directed a couple of films too. He has. Right. Yeah, yeah um, he has.
3: I can't, it's not coming to my mind right now. What Yow he did. Yahweh or something like that.
2: Oh, The were or yeah. Yes, that's the yeah. South African
3: film. Yeah, that's right. Mm, yeah.
2: Anyway, that's With Now.
3: With Now, what an incredible film. So it's about two out of work actors, 1969, on the poverty line. They uh, go to their um, Uncle Monty or one of the characters, Uncle Monty, played brilliantly by Richard Griffiths, mm-hmm. I believe. What an incredible actor he was. Uh, You'd know him from Harry Potter, of course, or Pie in the Sky. What a classic British (laughs) TV show. But he steals the show as Uncle Monting, the highly gay, highly flamboyant Mm. uh, man. He wants a piece of Paul McGann's character.
2: Oh, Paul McGann, another very underrated Underrated. character actor that really didn't get the career he deserved. Exactly. You think
3: when this film came out, you would have thought these two guys are going to be the next white hope of a British acting scene. Obviously, very successful, but not quite the stars. You know, I
2: think I think Doctor Who ruined it for McGann. Yeah, it's a good. He comment. was cast in the first movie. Yeah, there you uh, go. Which was an American production yeah. and an American attempt to reboot the franchise for an American audience. Yeah, and it tanked miserably. There you go. Okay. I think fans love him as the Doctor, but I think you know it stalled his career. Dude, that's for sure. Absolutely did. But um, <laughs> this
3: is like this is a classic film. It's got some of the best lines. Incredibly quotable film. Must see. It's very sad, melancholy, but very very funny.
2: And if you want to know how to roll, (laughs) then go and check it. Well, I I endorse that one. But I doubt you're going to endorse mine. Probably not. No. Anyway, this one comes off the back of more sad news. Cult or tour filmmaker Joel M. Reed passed away last week. Sadly, another victim of Corona-19. Look, this guy back in the seventies was a bit of a master of the macabre and the splatter. He came sort of in the wake of Herschel Gordon Lewis, who was the granddaddy of the genre. Um, but he made a great film in nineteen seventy-six called Bloodsucking Freaks. <laughs> right? Now it was originally titled The Incredible Torture Show. It was renamed by Troma Entertainment when they <laughs> look at Keith, he's lost his shit. When they acquired it, Troma renamed it Bloodsucking Freaks. Now, for many people, I know for many people listening to this, this movie was a rite of passage for a lot of teenagers. Uh, it's a film that we all picked up at the video store because it was too taboo, too mm. naughty. It was sort of in that R-rated section. Uh, look, I don't know where to start about this one. It is so bizarre. It is a freak show of a movie. It tells the story of a of a theatre macabre whose entertainment, unbeknownst to the audience, was entirely real. So the performers were victims who had been kidnapped and forced into sexual slavery. That's becoming a real motive on this show, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Indeed. <laughs> and, and when a particular critic gives the theatre a poor review, he is also kidnapped along with a ballerina for some reason. And the hopes there are that they would bring some uh, legitimacy to the depravity. Mm. It is a weird mess of a movie. Yeah. But I can tell you what, this one does You know, midnight screenings. It's... Highly celebrated within the genre, it's, it's hysterical, mm. and there's no way in hell a film like this could be made today.
3: Probably not. No. no.
2: So <laughs> some of the more iconic moments in the film, we got lots of dismemberment, but I think um, the one scene that stands out the most people is the drilling of a skull mm. and then drinking the brains through a straw. Wow. Yeah. Tasty. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, not everyone will be into this no. kind of thing, but I I know there's a lot of respect out there for Joel M. Reed. My Facebook certainly lit up when he passed away. Mm. Um, So, hats off to Joel M. Reed, Bloodsucking Freaks. It's an important entry into that trashy sub-genre of independent cinema. And that almost brings us to the end of the show. Yeah. So, we've got a competition winner. Uh, Last week's winner, you're winning The Fanatic and Big Legend. Plus, I'm going to throw in a sneaky bonus film, Sandra Ann. Sandra Ann? Sandra Ann pops up. All the time. She likes everything we do, both on Good Movie Monday and Fake Shamp. So, I really appreciate that. I know whenever I get a like and I see that little yellow, you know, profile picture pop up, I know that Sandra's like something. So, Sandra. I'm going to send some stuff your way. I'll be in touch to uh, to tee that up with you, Sandra. So, thank you very much. Now, this week, we're giving away two mystery movies. I'm not going to tell you what they are. I've got a bunch of things here that are new and um, you're going to win one. So, as always, simply interact with us on our social media. Like, comment and Share. And we're going to pluck the winner out of a hat.
3: Indeed. Or a mug. For some tasty free content. (laughs) That's right.
2: (laughs) Anyway, thanks for making us part of your weekly routine. Thanks for putting up with my croaky voice today. Cheers to the usual suspects, Jarrett, Guillermo, and Adam. Next week we have something different. We're hosting a 100% Hitchcock episode. I'm looking forward to this. You are. This is right up Keith's alley, start to finish, nothing but Hitchcock. So be sure to join us for a spot of murder, mystery, and espionage. But for now, we're going to sign off with one of my favorite pieces from Richard Band. See, I told you we'd connect the whole Hitchcock Richard Band He's thing. his name mentioned with the great man. <laughs> it is the opening main title from Stuart Gordon's cult classic Reanimator. This was, of course, Band's tribute to Bernard Herrmann. And uh, it's unmistakable, it was recorded with the Rome Philharmonic, so there's some credibility for you, kids. Wow, kid. yeah. I, there's none greater than the Rome Philharmonic. <laughs> Check this out, everyone, and we'll catch you next week. Good Movie Monday.